0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Stephen Mitchley about increasing productivity and business performance through prioritizing health within the workplace. Stephen Mitchley, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Pleased to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm excited to have a nice conversation with you today. We're going to be focusing on increasing productivity and business performance through prioritizing health within the workplace. I think this is, of course, super important from a human perspective. Like We just want to be humane. We want to take care of our people. We want them to have a physically healthy, psychologically, emotionally healthy place to work. Um, But it also has big impacts for the bottom line of the organization, Uh, it will increase productivity, it will increase uh, other positive metrics and outcomes, uh, performance outcomes for the organization, uh, so we can really talk about it from both angles. As we get started, I wanted to share Stephen's bio with everybody. Stephen Mitchley, chief strategy officer leads Vitality Group's digital and global partner disciplines. He brings more than 25 years of experience and expertise in overseeing operations and technology to the Vitality Group product team. Mr. Mitchley joined Vitality Group's parent South Africa-based Discovery Holdings Limited in 2000 and has had exposure across the group, leading large-scale process re-engineering activities and designing and building operations for new products and services. Prior to helping found the Vitality Group as COO in December of 2007, he headed up the Business Solutions Division, responsible for broad operating model design, quality management, resource planning, data integrity, business intelligence, and system support. Again, it is such a pleasure, Stephen, to be with you today. I always love having guests on from all over the world. It's a pleasure. Uh, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we launch on in?
1: Yeah, I would not describe myself as a reformed engineer, although... So I was an engineer by profession. Um, I joined Discovery and Vitality about um, 21 years ago now. And I was really attracted by this idea that um, their core purpose was to make people healthier. So you can imagine deep level gold mining, heavy technical engineering. And you go, what's this about? (laughs) What are we doing for society? And starting uh, with the company then, we had about 900 staff. I thought to myself, if I have a good day or bad day, at least I walk away, knowing that I made people healthier. So it's, it's my um, core purpose of making people healthy. I think it's something that really anchors us. And um, the topic today is really close to my heart. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion.
0: Excellent. Thank you uh, so much for a little bit more background. And yeah, so let's let's just dive right on in. What is the impact of health within the workplace? And we can think about health broadly. Uh, there's lots of different. Health outcomes. We're, you know, we're certainly concerned about worker stress and anxiety, burnout, uh, but other chronic illness uh, and uh, physical safety. There, there's all sorts of different elements to this. So, what do you see as some of those broad impacts?
1: Yeah, um, great question. I think um, something you spoke about about the the bottom line. You know, the back in the day, uh, certainly when I was, I was going through my management training, our objectives were. Objective was um, to maximise shareholders' uh, uh, wealth, and I think John Nelkinton changed that with the triple bottom line and said the companies have a duty of you know to report on financial, on social, and environmental. And I think we're we're strong advocates of of saying well, there's probably a bit more in there that we should be reporting on, um, especially the the health of, of our, our people as well. And um, you know there's a there's a great opportunity for self-insured employers to make not only an impact on their productivity and the well-being of, of the employees but also to have a societal impact as well and um, and you know you, you think well intuitively i think the listeners would know that a healthy worker or healthy employee is a productive employee we, we know that as well that, that makes sense but we've got profound studies globally and um, so here in the us and the uk that shows that and um, there's a massive drain on organisation due to absenteeism and absenteeism. Um, so thirty eight days are lost on average per per year due to health related impacts. So there's very direct correlation between your performance as a business and the the health and well-being of the population. And uh, yeah you know, we're 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 advocates of investing in that because the returns are are pretty substantial.
0: yeah, and and you mentioned absenteeism. And certainly that's a problem, Um, of course, beyond absenteeism is turnover, that's a huge expense and a problem for organizations. But I also think of things like withdrawal cognition, Uh, people who are still physically there, they show up, but they've mentally checked out because for whatever reason, they decided that, you know, uh, why Why should they invest in the organization if the organization's not investing in them? You know, it, that's yep. the kind of, that's the situation where you know people show up to work and then they spend half their day looking for jobs somewhere else. Yeah, um, yeah, and exactly. so obviously so that just, leads to lost productivity, that leads to yeah. negative team dynamics, a uh, whole slew Correct. of problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the
0: the,
1: um, the Rand Europe and Cambridge study was really health related absenteeism and presenteeism, which didn't take into account these more cultural elements yeah, you know, we, we we do see the Vitality program as, as being not only a, a carriage and stick approach to, with an outcome of um, lowering health care costs. That's one way to look at it. And, you know, obviously, if you, you are doing that, you are protecting the bottom line. But it's it's broader than that. You know, I think I think there is a, a, a sense of a, a need for the we at work. You know, what we found is um, to install um, and support installation of Vitality Champs, so people at the, on the coal face who are, Gathering around health themes and self organizing, we go on walks with their colleagues. And there's a lot of community, a communion around that particular topic. And obviously, that's got a spin off effect on, on the broader sense of belonging. You know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think, right at the end of his, his career, he said the most important thing is a feeling of belonging. It's so ingrained in us because we knew at a core. But if you weren't, weren't part of a team, the line would eat you. You, know, it's, you you need to be able to contribute. And I think I think um, rallying behind uh, common things beyond just the mission of the, the company is a good binding agent for
0: organizations
1: and an important one as well.
0: So how, how can organizations go about prioritizing health of their people if they recognize both the human benefit uh, uh, of belonging, connection, and just health, the humanity of it, but also the bottom line impacts of it, they realize it's going to lead to greater levels of, of productivity and high performance. So how do we prioritize it? How do we start to put that right. into action and create, yeah. you know, the kind of a culture around workplace health and well-being?
1: Yeah, for me, it's a, um, starting, well, the starting point for me is, is recognizing what problem you're trying to solve. Um, we do a lot of in the design discipline we do a lot of design thinking so often in product there's a a rush to say well let's make this thing look this way but you really have to take a step back and say well that's great great concept but what problem are we trying to solve and um yeah we're great proponents of incentivizing behavior um but then the question becomes what do you incentivize what what are you trying to overcome and i i I put to most people that your health engagement is a bit of a misnomer you don't really engage with a health plan. So much as you engage in the sickness, so you you go and you, know, you go and see the doctor. That's not quite engaging in the health. And part of the problem, uh, and part of the blessing, is that we, by by nature as a species, are incredibly optimistic. I mean, if we actually think through the last year, the year before that, all the all the turmoil and the trouble that we've seen. You know, you'd wake up in the morning and you probably wouldn't go to work. You wouldn't. You'd be debilitated, di- di- But we. We don't do that. We wake up and we're optimistic that there's something better out there. But that also counts against us. We have this massive optimism about our ability to beat the odds, to, you know, um, we have optimism around our, our performance, we have optimism around um, the state of our health. You know, you, you, you ask uh, the average employee, employee um, you yeah, know, how, how have they done in their performance review? And the majority of people say that they're above average. which Logically, is not possible, but that's the sense of the European spirit. And the same is true of of health. You know, the, even people with um, three, four comorbidities, sixty percent of them would rate their their health as fair to good to brilliant. So we we have this amazing ability to to be in denial, which serves us well in some instances, but not so much in health. And I think the the challenge for us is to overcome um, something that we call hyperbolic discounting. So. You know, we, we tend to underweight things that are in fu- in the future that we, we can't quite get to and overweight the things that are immediate. So very practically, um, sickness, palliative care is easy to engage with. You know, if I feel sick, I go to the doctor, I feel better. I don't really see the, the cost because it's typically paid by the, the insurer. That's engaging in sickness. Engaging in health is a little bit little bit tougher. I mean, the, the costs are, are are there upfront front and center. I have to pay for the gym. I have to put the effort in up front. But the rewards are actually a little bit more intangible. You don't get them the day that you do them. If I, if I want to lose weight and I go for a run, it's like I come back in the run and I've lost weight. I have to run a lot. So I have to change my diet. It's, it's a, a progression. Even then, I've lost some weight. I haven't seen the benefit of this in the future. So we focus a lot on bringing Bringing that experience bringing those dynamics into the presence and making it very real and visceral for the individual one of the techniques is something called vitality age which is an all-risk mortality adjusted age very fancy term but it basically measures how you are relative to your chronological age if i, if I gave you a score jonathan of you know, your um your health is at 80 percent for me as an engineer that was a distinction i mean that's brilliant that, that's how the, the mind works. For some people 70% is not that bad. You know? if I say to you that you're three years older than you should be. suddenly <laughs> ego kicks in. And it's something that you can really relate to. So we we, we, we really do try and frame things up in meaningful ways. I and mean, that's that's one trick or one one technique. And I, I think the other is, is placing incentives in the in the correct places. So um, you're yeah, being being careful about being too outcomes focused you know, we, we ran a, a study in South Africa, where we, we incentivized people for weight loss. And what we found was, um, people didn't succeed Got really angry, because not only didn't they get the incentive, but they actually didn't lose the weight. And that's the point. So we flipped that around and incentivized people for trying doing the right inputs. And yeah, you know, the output measures will, will follow. So I, I would, I'd say that 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 for me is a, a key aspect to try and get right that you realize it's not just about saying, gee, that's all get healthy. It's people have got real issues. So how do you support them in navigating on a whole person basis those issues and make it really personal, specific to them as well?
0: Yeah, so you've talked a bit about the incentives when you're designing programs uh, to help people improve their health and become more engaged. What Any other types of incentives or rewards that you might use in, in terms of structuring that for them to drive better outcomes. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo.
1: You know, I, as I said, I've been I'm quite long in the tutoring industry. I've uh, been uh, with my now, 21 years. And when I first joined this predates cell phones, predates websites. Um, we had um, in the program a lot of great rewards, but they were all based on processes that uh, the loyalty industry had at the time. Like if you wanted to go to gym, you know, that's an anchor, anchor benefit. Um, you get a voucher from us, take the voucher to gym. If you want to get a discount on your flights, you do the same. And we we came up with this mantra of intuitive, real-time integrated as a way of designing experiences. So the first thing for me is, um, and the lesson there for me was um, really, inertia kills initiatives. If you can make things simple and intuitive for members um, and for employees, you really get profound changes in behavior. And we saw, um, we were able to increase our engagement rates by 900% in one year and our call rate for the program dropped by 27 percent, just with that simple design philosophy and um, you know it turns out that my grandmother was right: and apple a day does keep the doctor away we we had uh, this gym program that was a user to lose thing so you you, you join the program you could you could join a gym for free or for a small amount and it was free provided the exercise and that that really i mean it, it grew that that um that business dramatically and fast forward to so a few years ago, uh, we innovated around a product with Apple Watch where essentially you can get a, a, a beautiful Apple Watch for, say, $20. So that's your commitment. And then it's free provided you exercise. So if you don't exercise, you have to pay the watch off over two years. So there's a amount that, the that comes off every month. But if you do exercise, you don't pay at all. And you'd be amazed at how that loss aversion drives the right right sort of behavior.
0: And can, can we flip that? So, I've seen the opposite where you do all these checkpoints, you you hit all these benchmarks, and then at the end, you get the Apple Watch. Do you see a difference in giving it up front and then having them pay massive. it back versus yeah, yeah, yeah. the end goal? No,
1: yeah, yeah, massive. Um, the loss aversion program is faster, period. But Grand Europe did a study across 400,000 members, and they showed that um, there was a 34% increase in physical activity engagement and was sustained over the two year period. And the, 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 the results were far more superior to cashback programs. I mean, it's, it's an interesting way to think of it. If I say, say to you, um, I'm going to give you this value for exercising, that's a cashback, you'll monetize your activity and you'll work out that it's not really worth your while to exercise today because it's only 50 cents. But I flip that on its head and say, if you don't exercise, then we'll charge you for the watch. It's all the same economics. But you get this gearing of the behaviour. So it is about putting the right, the right incentive mechanics in place. I mean, a very good one um, is if you say to somebody, "Don't do this," and you'll you won't die. The the, the threat of a loss of life doesn't really work. We've seen it with smoking. If you if you flip that on its head and talk about the the benefits of of healthy activity in your older ages with your grandchildren. You get a profound effects um, in terms of behavioral change. So a lot of, a lot of this is about anchoring the behaviors and anchoring the messaging around what can it ignite that individual in a present context rather than, you know, taking into account, um, the carrot sticks that, that might have the, the wrong sort of behavior.
0: Um, and, and as you're th- describing this, mm-hmm. what my, my experience with organizations that have wellness programs uh, in various initiatives to try to drive better employee health, they're almost always the opposite of what you're describing. They, it's almost always the long-term benefit, uh, focused on uh, a reward down the line, uh, focused on you know uh, making sure that you you take care of yourself so that you don't you know get lung cancer in the future, whatever. All these uh, public awareness programs, a lot of organizational uh, wellness initiatives. Uh, they're focusing. It sounds like the opposite of what your research suggests is going to be most effective, yeah. and so then my question is, well, why? Yeah. I mean, if 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 the research is so clear, why are people so slow to adopt a different approach, and what are the obstacles, you know, to to getting there? I think it
1: is a, a mindset change. I mean, the, um, if you look at the health insurance industry, there's a lot of talk about patient engagement. Um, so, I think through that and I think, well, isn't that the heart of the problem that you see people as patients? And if, um, the founder of our company um, started a health insurance business with the premise that if you, you focus on the, the demand side up front rather than the supply side, so rather, instead of focusing on your contracting and all the rest of it, focusing on, on the demand side, getting people to interact with them with their lifestyle behaviors you'd have a profound effect on the the risk pool, and this is this has been demonstrated i mean we we've got a a automobile insurance program where um it's very similar to what you'd see here in the states where if you measure yourself you get better rates now what we do is we flip that on its head and you get the benefit immediately so at the gas station you get a discount on your gas but if you don't drive well then the discount disappears and you get you actually get behaviour change, as opposed to something that is just selection, which is, you know, um, safe drivers don't mind being reported, so they will take that product. Um, I think, I think there is a lot of resistance to new ways of thinking. That that is part of it. And quite frankly, I think um, th- th- there could be an element of of design that isn't evidence based. That uh, I mean, we've seen these concepts um, successful in other businesses. So it's not. I don't want to report that we're the only people um, doing this, but I think that an industry that, that says we'll give you value to doing a risk assessment. Yeah, we've never done that. What we've always said is there's value to be attained and, and to unlock that part of the process is to getting to know you. And part of that process is the risk assessment. So we don't monetize that action. Because once you've monetized that action, then the next thing becomes more expensive. It's, it's more, you know, you're, you're trying to get people to embrace that you're there to support them. Um, and that you want the experience to be deeply personal for them not just random cohorts that have been selected by by someone and then you guide them in the process so i think it's a it's a slightly different mindset if you if you start with the consumer in mind rather than the outcome to the risk pool in mind which is quite frankly often what i see that the objective is to lower the risk pool but we don't approach it in a shared value approach which basically says if i would benefit from this behavior, how could I take some of that benefit and channel it back into the person that is creating the benefit?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this is really important stuff for anyone listening today. Um, think about how your organization is structuring these types of programs, um, what your kind of motivational philosophy is um, mm-hmm. for people, and are you doing more of an extrinsic, carrot stick kind of an approach to drive you know, more healthy behaviors, or are you finding a way to tap into intrinsic uh, motivation of individuals? And that was one thing that struck me as you described the difference between talking about someone's, you know, danger of dying versus the ability for them to enjoy, you know later life with their grandkids and, and have fun yes, with exactly. them right exactly. like that's tapping into my internal motivation that you know my my love for family my desire to yeah. be there it's for them. it's your right? why exactly. it's my it's my exactly. why exactly yeah. and so how often are we tapping into the why um behind behavior in the workplace whether it's health related or a variety of other types of issues um versus you know we 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 create these extrinsic types of motivators that Kind of work, but often don't work as as well as the intrinsic.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, I think you also think you just coming back to the point of the um, uh, the triple bottom line. I mean, as an organization, most most companies are looking after the the health, paying for the health of their, their employees. You know, being self self insured. and some some are obviously small and uh, not fully insured, but self insured employee, yes, there's value to you in productivity. There's value to you in and a lack of presentism. There's value to you in you know, lowering those costs, but there's also societal value. I mean, the the one you've spoken about, which is the cultural elements. You know, if, if people do feel that you love them, you are looking after them. That's your that's where you're coming from. There's benefits there, but um, there's broader societal impacts as well, which. Um, yeah, we've we've seen with um, being a um, health insurer in both South Africa and the UK, very large um, health insurers with massive, massive data about actual claims, actual life insurance, actual death, That engaging on the, this vitality program actually has a, a very positive effect for folk relative to their risk of COVID. I and mean, we developed a, a COVID resilience index based on vitality engagement. So we we've seen that um, people who are are highly engaged. Notice that engaged, not not active. People highly engaged um, demonstrate an 11% lower risk of hospitalisation, and even those that are slightly engaged were to 6% lower. So there's a, I think there's a broader spin-off effect that you get on you know, engaging with, uh, to engage in their community, engaging in the health. It's not just about um, your bottom line. It's also about the the impact of that in the, in the that individual's journey on yeah, in their life and how are they going to experience you know, better quality of life later on in years? Are they increasing their lifespan? Are they increasing their health span? Will they will they be um, well looked after? Or will they look after themselves as they as they get older? So, yeah, you know, it sounds ethereal, but quite, quite frankly, it's not. It's um, it's a very practical and very very deep responsibility that we have in terms of looking after an employed base. It's not just that, you know, the a tailorist gives people money, get something back. But I think it's far broader than that.
0: Stephen, it has been a real pleasure chatting with you about all of these elements, and I, I completely agree about the triple bottom line. Um, kind of having this general uh, approach towards general public well-being uh, with how we're uh, approaching workplace health uh, and prioritizing that within the workplace. So clearly, there's so many uh, outcomes and benefits to organizations for for focusing on this uh, for for their bottom line, but also for for the individuals within their organizations for society as a whole. And ultimately, I I think this needs to be something of greater focus and prioritization. And we need to be thinking about how we design these programs in a way that can actually drive change, behavioral change uh, in the lives of, of our people, so that we're not just going through the motions, checking the boxes, in saying, yeah, we, ha- we have a wellness program, check, we're done. Um, and I, I see that in a lot of organizations mm-hmm. here in the US too. They, you know, they, they can claim they have something, they can list it on their, their employee benefits, um, but the utilization isn't very high and ultimately the impact isn't very much. And so it's a really lost opportunity. Well, Stephen, as we wrap up today, I just wanted to um, give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, we're reachable on Um There's some great resources there, open to the public on return to work, um, dealing with COVID messaging. We've, we've done it throughout the, the pandemic, well researched articles. There's a lot of um, toolkit worth it. You know, if all that you do is go there and have a look at the toolkits. Um, I think there's value for you there. Um, we i would say we you know, over the, the since 2008 um we started the, the business here in the us we really have adopted a, a mentality of if you've seen one employer you've seen one employer and so the same care and focus that we take with the individual we take with the individual organizations Yeah, you know, a company is exactly that, it's a company of individuals so the culture the, the, the pains they all are going to be in a slightly different context a slightly different problem to solve and that yeah we've got We've got quite a few areas um, in our quiver, um, so we can solve some problems. We can get some expertise, but I think we we're also very open to to learning about what what companies are struggling with, so that we can try and apply minds to to help them. Now, um, yeah, my my sense is that most folk do want to to um, lead change, and often it's very difficult to do so because there's a lot of moving parts. So we we had to to really support in making that slightly simpler, uh, a bit more integrated, a bit more intuitive, and and hopefully, you know, people can can see the benefit within their populations.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Stephen. It has just been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, look more at your organization's research, um, figure out ways to leverage that, and and to make, excuse me, a real difference in, in your organizations. I encourage people to get connected, Uh, reach out. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results.